Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Welcome to the WSO Weekly Wrap-Up, where I talk with my team about the five most trending discussions in the Wall Street Oasis community. Enjoy. All right, after a long hiatus, we're back. Uh, it is September 7th, 2023. We're going to try to do a quick weekly recap of some of the top threads. Uh, sorry about the delay. We've been swamped with WSO Academy interviews. Um, if you are interested in checking that out, go to wallstreetoasis.com slash academy. But uh, Matt's going to kick us off with the intro of the one of the top trending topics for today. Uh, yeah, thanks for that, Pat. It's been uh, quite some time since we popped on this, but excited to get back into it here. Uh, this first trending topic actually had me chuckling. It's something that I remember doing quite often, especially in the first six months of of being in investment banking, well, specifically on a, on a sales and trading desk here. But the first topic that we have here is my MD had asked me to wait in line at his favorite halal spot for an hour to pick up his food. I'm not sure if I should stay in the industry after that. So as I mentioned, typically it's pretty normal practice for juniors to be grabbing food um, for especially some of the senior, senior members in the firm there. It's something I did for quite some time, spent yeah, easily an hour or two sometimes at these hot spots that MDs want to uh, be eating at. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, that's something that's always been around. I know you have uh, a lot more years of experience than I do. So it's oh, yeah. a common practice. It's common practice. I think especially as an intern or a first year analyst, you're expected to kind of you know, shit flows downhill. So you're expected to do all the grunt work. Sometimes you're doing admin work. Sometimes you're picking up suits, you're dropping off, you know, books at an MD's apartment at 4am because they have a flight out the next morning. You're doing all the kind of the grunt work, even sometimes it means getting lunch for everybody. How about you, Nabil? Um, yeah, yeah. In the early years, uh, when there's no work, that's usually the work you get, just running around doing stuff for, yeah, the partner. Yeah, so a couple of the comments here were all about like, you know, the how do you go about handling those asks? I guess I'm assuming obviously it's busy, you know, for any junior individual other uh, days and it's hard to kind of spend like an hour or two kind of running errands for for senior folks there. Some people's responses were, you know, toughen up a bit. That's just what the, the role entails. Some people are saying, you know, um, if this person's asking you to do it often, maybe have a conversation around them. What would be your guys' recommendations here? The way I kind of handled it was just kind of put a smile on and understood this is what just is involved and it's not going to be something that lasts forever. Definitely wasn't in the uh, opinion of wanting to make a conversation out of it with my seniority uh, there. So I just kind of kept doing it. But what are your guys' thoughts on that? Is it something where you just keep a smile on your face, keep doing it? Or is it something where you think it warrants a conversation eventually? I think if it, if it keeps going like past your first year of like full-time experience, I think maybe, but like I wouldn't, as a first year, it's kind of a little bit of like the hazing culture that goes on. And I think it's also sometimes a test of like, you know, some people are like, oh, you don't have a spine. Just tell him to get his own lunch. I'm like, this is an MD. Our partner, their time is more valuable than yours, realistically. So your yeah. whole point is like to save them time. So if it means you're the one waiting in line, then, you know, that's how it is. That's how I see it. But um, if it continued and you were like a critical element to the team and you were already like doing stuff. I think you could be like, hey, I haven't, you know, I'm I'm trying to knock out, there's a fire drill going on, I'm trying to knock this out. So if you're like super busy, then yeah, you could 
have a conversation and be like, um, could, you know, could your admin go get it? Yeah, <laughs> I guess the, also you know. it'd be important to know too, if it's been like over a year of you doing this and there has been some more junior folks that have come into the team there and they're not really being tasked with that and they're still requiring you to do it, then I could probably see how a conversation should arise out of that, especially if, if some more junior ranks have kind of joined the team. Yeah. Um, but I think if you are a smaller shop, sometimes hiring is not that frequent and you still may be the most junior individual after a full year or two, especially at some boutiques. And I think that was like my situation there was still well over a year, but I mean, I was still the only junior on the team there. So it's still that responsibility fell on me. The way I like to look at it is I think it's just more so like even just like camaraderie, like it's just something that you do like as, as a group together, everyone's been in that position, even the MDs when they were uh, interns and, and first years, they probably had it a lot worse than the new first years and, and uh, interns have it nowadays, just kind of given that hazing culture and how cultures kind of changed. And I'm sure they probably had it worse, uh, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. So I think it's just understanding that everyone's in that position you got to just put in that sweat now and then that's not going to last forever. And if it does, of course, you know, and like I said, there's some junior resources that have joined, then of course, you could probably warrant a conversation there. But I don't think you should be having that conversation um, until there. You don't want to have a, a bad reputation or, um, you know, have someone thrown off by having that conversation randomly. For sure. What's the next topic? Yeah, so let's jump to it here. The next topic is actually another interesting one as well. Um, more so folks on the private equity side of things, but one of the trending topics was around why the grass isn't greener. So essentially what's happening with private equity individuals, they do a lot of those gruesome years in banking, get really excited to join the, the buy side, spend a few years there, and then realize, you know, nothing's really changed in terms of lifestyle, maybe the stresses, uh, mental health, all that great stuff there. So Pat, I know you've worked in, in private equity for a bit. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Is the grass truly not greener or do you see some pros um, kind yeah. of going into private equity after banking? I think it's, it's really fun dependent. And I think, in a lot of mega funds, upper middle markets, the, the kids who are the most hard driving that have been working all like undergrad grinding to get into the top banks, gr then they're grinding to get into the top PE funds. Oftentimes they get out of banking, having worked two grueling years, they get to private equity thinking it's going to be better or like they've reached the promised land. And oftentimes it is really still just banking 2.0. It's, you know, all, they're all former bankers. The culture is similar. Um, it works a little bit different in terms of like you're you're now on the buy side, you're evaluating deals, but you're still like that that same culture of like extremely hard work and long hours that kind of, kind of persists through there. And so private equity burnout's a real thing. I think the thread was called why the grass isn't greener at the private equity associate crisis. And he's even branded PEAC. <laughs> so <laughs> it's something that happens and he's trying to like, frame it as it's very it's a lot more common than people realize when i jumped to private equity the first fund i was at um the true shock culture shock for me was almost not the long hours it was almost just the lack of any direction at all like it was like yeah. going from a place where they were telling you when you could go to the bathroom to not telling you anything ever yes <laughs> it was just like here i am and i'm like do i i'm on these portfolio companies should i be talking to people what kind of models should i build and so um you know the fund ended up not doing well I ended up getting fired like three months into my first gig but that was like a huge wake-up call for me in terms of like not really like being it's so fun dependent um mm -hmm. not just like your trajectory but also like are you gonna burn out um and what the lifestyle is like there are good shops out there though there are good shops yeah. like you know you're gonna be doing 50 hours 60 hours not 80 100 hour weeks so i guess another thing that probably gets overlooked a little bit too is in order to get into like these really big or really successful private equity firms it doesn't even just start at those you know first two gruesome years in banking a lot of the times they're against that top bank you're also playing four hard years of university right so it's like i think at that point you know that starts adding up really quickly it could be anywhere from six to eight years of just grinding 
and you kind of get to a little bit older point in your life where maybe you have some other priorities there and now that really starts taking a toll on you know the time you want to spend working so i think that also gets discounted sometimes as well people don't really sometimes people forget about those four years of grinding in university too which is what it often takes to kind of land at the you know the goldman and the morgan stanley's of the of the world which then obviously give you the exit ops to have those really high-end private equity roles as well um, but one thing i want to ask you here pax i see a lot of the comments in this thread as well kind of touching on this topic here and you've mentioned this to me personally before is that a lot of these funds do also have politics involved with them and so do you see politics kind of involve uh differ from private equity shops there or is it the oh, same huge. as um, yeah I investment mean, banking if you get like infighting with the partners like they're angry that some partner made an investment that's like tanking and they're like taking jabs and you're the associate under that like one of those partners and the portfolio company that's struggling and they're like angry at you because you're not helping turn it around fast enough or you're like supposed to be helping the CFO, but there's like some inherent issues with the business or it's like, you know, it's very hard as an outsider to come in. Like all the employees don't necessarily really care. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's very hard to go in. I think it's stressful, right? Because it's like the fund's performance is relying on you. You're suddenly stuck with this, you know, dog of a business that's not doing well that everyone's looking down on. And no, even if you improve it, I think this person was saying like, no one's really going to give you credit for it because it's still not a, like a home run. Yeah. And so a lot of it's like a little bit of luck in terms of which deals you get on, what partners you get put on with, and, and then which ones close and which ones don't. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's the politics matter a lot. And it's, you know, you can be the best, you can be the best at navigating different politics, but if you're, you have bad luck and you're just placed in a certain deal team, it's not like you have that much say as a private equity associate when you're first coming into the fund. So, yeah. Got it. Makes what sense. do you think Sorry. Yeah, sorry yeah i no, just want to ask what do you think is the role of like expectations because i guess people just join ib and then have this expectation that b is going to be like big like the breakaway from this hustle bustle do you think that's something like expectations need to be managed or like a little bit yeah i mean i think th i think the reputation is pretty well known for the mega funds to being like banking 2.0 so i think people probably know what they're getting into but it's just it's it's the same thing with banking it's like you don't know until you live it it's the same thing like after you've been burnt for two years straight, like working 80, 90 hour weeks, that doesn't sound like it sounds bad. But like when you live it, it's actually much worse than what it right. even sounds like, because I think people don't understand the marginal cost is exponential after about like 80 hours, 70, 80 hours. Each yeah. additional hour you work feels about like twice as painful as the additional hour, three times as painful. So like when you go from 90 to 100, those additional 10 hours it's not like an extra 10 hours when you're going from 50 to 60. That's like right. taking away, not just from like sleep, but like <laughs> general yeah. hygiene and like, like even being like, forget about working out, like any sort of exercise. Like, so it's, it's taking away from like some core fundamental things um, from you that, um, you know, allow you to keep any sort of kind of sane or sanity like throughout, throughout the program. So, yeah. Yeah. And one other thing here probably I want to mention, because I think it is relevant, is I think similar to the point you're making where that, that you know, those extra 10 hours aren't going to like, are gonna have a, a big difference in terms of working from 80 yeah. to 90 hours yeah. there. But I think it's the same thing where I, I think people know what they're getting themselves into from a private equity standpoint. I think just naturally they are making a lot more compensation. So I think they're willing to put up with it. And I think that very quickly gets um, Old. overlooked. 
gets old very quickly. And I think it's a point you made to me a few years ago. It's always stuck with me now where you said, you know, the marginal increase in your pay after a certain, after a certain threshold is not really going to be that impactful. So yeah. if an individual from a, a large bulge bracket was making, say, an associate all in 300 grand, 350, whatever it may be, yeah. they go to this private equity firm now making 550 or even 500, you know, it sounds great on paper, but that extra 100 grand after tax, all that stuff is not going to really be impacting life that much. And now you're still doing the exact same amount of work, if not more, have additional stresses on your mental health, everything else. Yeah. I think that gets overlooked or people think, you know, on paper, oh, I'm making, you know, 450, 500 grand. But, yeah. you know, that gets very old very quickly if you're miserable kind of yeah, doing there was, Some people are built for it. Some people aren't though. There was even a thread. I think somebody who had an offer, I don't know if it was a, a troll, but there was a thread of a guy who had like a seven figure offer to join. I him. saw that. And he was I like, I don't that. know if I should take it. Like he's literally that burnt out. Yeah. He's like, yeah. I just want to like disappear and just like chill. And I think he said something go like Southeast Asia or something like that. And just yeah. like living on a beach there. Right there. Been, yeah. He's been grinding. He's like, I've been grinding literally. Like he did IBPE. I think now he has this crazy offer uh, yeah. to make like seven figures. People are like, what are you doing? Just like, yes, you'll kick yourself in two years. Like, just go do it. And then like, go see a therapist first. Like you're making enough money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, exactly. um, yeah, it's easy to say when you're kind of on the outside in, you see those big numbers to be like, oh, do this. You've been grinding. You know, this is what you've been waiting for. It's like, why not just cash the lottery ticket? Yeah. yeah. But it's another thing when you're waking up depressed every day and like oh, it's hard to roll out of bed and face the day because you're just dreading it. So so it's easy for us. To, and a lot of these kids that make it to that point, they've had such a structured and they've been whipped for so long. It doesn't even it's not even high school. It's not even like college where they start work. These a lot of these kids started in elementary school. Where yeah. their parents are hard driving parents. They were doing three hours of math a day, three hours of you know, two hours of piano or violin, whatever. Um, you know, when I played violin, it was like my parents were lucky if they could get me to do like a half hour now. Some parents they're like, they're enforcers. You're doing it. Yeah. You're doing it. And so imagine the kid, like, it's not just even like high school, it's earlier. It starts like yeah. earlier. And so like the burnout could be like even further, you know, it's like, you know, it could be 15 years and the person's just like, I'm yeah. done. I'm done. It's Yeah. And I feel like it's like deep rooted uh, resentment that they may not even realize where they could attribute it to. But if they've been kind yeah. of having to grind since high school, yeah. like going maybe to a prep academy or something like that, having that totally. oversight from, you know, 11th grade, 12th grade, it could definitely get. It adds up on you. I mean, let's get real here. You know, no one's going to be a robot and just kind of uh, say, you know, they enjoy doing that day in, day out. Yeah. You need to have some sort of personal and, and social life as well to reap the rewards that you've uh, worked for. Um, but anyways, let's, let's hop to the third topic here. I think this one's very relevant, just given the, the day of age here in terms of just the, the macroeconomic conditions. Um, a lot of interns or at least a handful of interns weren't getting, you know, uh, receiving full time offers as a result of just banks being a little bit more stringent on uh, on hiring, um, obviously, for the up and coming year here. So uh, this thread was called uh, Resilience in the Face of Rejection. I think it was just a great thread um, in the IB forum just talking about, you know, how to get a hardened skin and, uh, you know, have that disciplined approach still to trying to land that offer. Don't really get uh, too, too down on yourself for not receiving that that full time offer, maybe not even getting any internship offers. And so there's some success stories there, but three um, three points I really liked though the the top the top comment in that thread um, was a few things that he suggested or this individual suggested. One was um, kind of have a, a resilience muscle to get reps into getting rejected. I think that's something that you know any sales individual it gets very accustomed to quickly. I mean, people maybe in banking that maybe don't have that front uh, front uh, client facing BD role really understand, but you have to get comfortable with getting rejected often um, and kind of have that hardened skin. Uh, the second is self-confidence. Even if you have been rejected, step up to the plate next time and have a smile on your face and project that confidence. You can't be down on yourself. No one's going to feel sorry for you. 
There's a lot of people in those similar stories. So you got to always come up with confidence. And the third is that it's always fake it till you make it. And same thing with kind of the self-confidence thing. You know, people look up to these associates, VPs, MDs, and they really look glorified. But behind the curtain, there are a lot of people who are still faking it till they make it. I think that's what this individual said is uh, it's a cliche for a reason. But, um, you know, it, it's it's something to kind of uh, always keep top of mind. So, um, Pat, you know, what are your thoughts on kind of being resilient in this? I know it's very tough. People not getting those offers. But, uh, you know, what's your suggestions or your advice for these individuals? Yeah, I think it's hard when, you know, I think that the intern offer rates to full time this year are looking closer and to be like below 80% even in, in some firms, where historically it's, you know, 90 plus percent at most. So that extra, let's say you have 100 interns, that extra 10 to 15 interns that aren't getting offers are flowing downstream. They're going to gonna have to go to middle market banks, boutique banks, and get something that's below what they expected to land after grinding and getting that top internship offer. They probably didn't think they were going to be on the outside looking in because it was pretty rare historically. In mm-hmm. years like this and years back when we were in the great financial crisis in 09, 2010, this was very common. <laughs> the, yeah, oh, didn't you say all the way to like 60% or, you know, but even, even yourself, I remember you were saying you were, you were still in Wharton then when the, the well, when the great financial crisis happened. And so yeah. you're kind of, weren't you saying you're like, I'm sitting here in business school thinking like, what the heck am I doing right now? Is this going to be a waste? So yeah. Yeah, I think this is actually probably a perfect, yeah, perfect thread for you because you could kind of speak to how you kind of overcame that. Um, yeah, well, I mean, for myself, like I, I knew I kind of wanted to do WSL full time. So it was less like I just saw all my classmates at Wharton like stressing out because suddenly what seemed like, oh, we're at Wharton, we're going to be able to waltz into banking wasn't so easy. <laughs> yeah, And so, you know, the number of seats kind of really got much smaller. And so I think uh, from that point, yeah, I mean... It's important to realize that it's, you know, your career is 30 years and a lot of people like, especially college kids, they get caught up in that first job. Um, what I tell a lot of our academy kids too is like, or even the, the interviews, I'm like, you have no shot at banking or get out of school. I tell them that like straight up, like you are behind, you're a junior, you don't have enough experience, even though your GPA is high, like you're up against kids from top schools with three, eight, three nines that have already stacked two internships on their freshman and sophomore year. And even they're grinding. Right. And so I'm very straight with these kids, but I think the the best sign I can see from from those kids that that still want to come in and join the group and like work hard is they're like, hey, I'm willing to work 20 hours a week on top of my yeah. Hey, I'm willing to, you know, for it to take two, three years. If you're willing to do that, you're willing to go work at some no-name boutique, get the relevant experience, and then wait till deal volume picks back up and keep lateraling and networking, you can get really far. And um, I think, you know, as long as you're not like way past graduation. Um, and trying to completely pivot and have nothing. Um, even kids from non-targets, low GPAs, we've seen success stories all over the place. So it's important that, you know, you get used to rejection. You get used to, I think, I think an important part is that you're not like just relying on like applications. Yeah, I think it's it's the theme also just like control what you can control type thing. If you know you can't control yeah. the macro environment and firms are hiring, you know, that's out of everyone's control here. Yeah. Um, I think it's just control what you can control. And that's the, the point that you made there where it's like, you know, still put in those 20 extra hours, 30 hours or kind of just hustle and grind. And and yeah. look at that more as like something that it's going to be a challenge to you. And when you do overcome that, because if you do put in the time and the dedication, you will. It's going to be that much sweeter at the top looking back at that journey versus, you know, just this, kind of being waltzed in and giving. But Matt, Matt, this brings me to the whole thing of like people seeing networking as a transaction. 
So networking yeah. as a transaction is a failing mentality of like, I need, I'm going to network to land more interviews. Yes, networking will land you more interviews, but it's doing so much more than that. It's opening so many potential avenues for you five years, 10 years down the road if you build that foundational network. And more yeah. importantly, it's developing your interview skills. You're getting better at talking about yourself. You don't even realize all the, the secondary and tertiary benefits you're getting from that networking. Like everyone's like, hey, did the networking lead directly to an interview in this cycle or not? Like yeah. that's the wrong mentality. Some of it yeah. will, and so that's great. But usually you're it's like planting seeds and it takes sometimes years for those for yeah, to nothing's gonna be clear cut in terms of this step, this step, this step. It's gonna be multiple little steps all culminating to get you to that point there. And I think yeah, people need to understand that that every little at bat, every every little conversation may seem minimal, but that is gonna be adding to your success or just to your overall, like you said, familiarity with speaking with strangers. That's essentially what an interview is. You're kind of going in, in front of an individual you haven't met before and you're talking about yourself and your experiences. And that's the exact same thing with networking. I think psychologically people get a lot more worked up on interviewing versus networking. But if you really just kind of take a, a bird's eye approach, just do the exact same thing. So again, it's that rep based kind of yeah. getting those at bats to be then uh, prepared for when it is now time to, you know, really kind of crush that interview. You're going to be prepared for it because you've had now, you know, 50, 60 at bats to get you to that point there. So I think, yeah, people need to take a little bit lo longer term picture on or view on things um, ultimately. Um, and that's, yeah, why, just, that's why I tell kids who are like, they're not, they're not competitive for banking. I'm like, but if you hit the limits of LinkedIn, you do a hundred connection requests every week and you, you get the 20 new connections every week and you get them onto email and you follow up with them. Guess what? Yeah. You're going to be doing two to three phone calls every single week. That's a hundred yeah. people you've got on a phone and developed a, uh, at least a, a, a soft relationship with. And all the studies show all the opportunities that people get. It's not from your the people you know best. It's from those weak connections that's where you get yeah. job opportunities. Yeah. It's, uh, you're, you're dramatically increasing your weak connections with those phone calls. Yeah. And I think uh, another thing that's often overlooked is people think the industry is big. Don't get me wrong. It is a very big industry, but at the same time, it's also a very small industry. So I think, you know, the fact that you could hop on with a hundred people on the phone on any given year and, you know, do that over a two to three year span, yeah. like I, I, I will guarantee you that some way or another in your career over those next 30 years, you are going to be in contact with one of those individuals or, or somehow it's going to benefit you. That's almost a guarantee. So it is like a very tight knit community at the end of the day, even though it may seem large on paper, yeah. it definitely is not um at all and i think you know i could even attest to that just kind of you know from from most people listening a lot of the outreach that we do that you know yes there's a lot of investment banks but there's not as many as people think there are right so like these 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 uh relationships will definitely reap benefits in the future but just also like having that disciplined approach right you get rejected it's fine stand back up and do it again right you get rejected again stand up and do it again it has to be disciplined you can't be uh, a subject to your emotions and kind of go through that roller coaster where you lose interest because you're down and depressed that you didn't get 90, something. Ninety-seven percent of the people that you send a connection request to will never get on the phone with you. Ninety-seven percent. That three yeah. percent is a good conversion to call to phone calls. Yeah. Right. It's but getting but but not getting responses is a nice way to start learning about rejections, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, a lot of times, like I talk to people that aren't in sales or any business development roles or like very client-facing roles. And I'll tell them that, you know, I email this person and they don't respond or like, you know, we have a meeting and, and how many times have people not showed up to our meetings? Like they're just yeah, no yeah. shows. And, and some people are like, oh my God, that's so disrespectful. But I'm like, no, that's just a part of the game here. Like, you know what I mean? You're, not everyone's going to respond to your email. Not everyone's going to hop on a phone with you. And I've just now hardened myself on rejection. But to some people, I, I still recognize that, that they're like, what do you mean? It just no showed you, you like, that's yeah. crazy. I'm like, this is what it's all about. Right. So it's, Take out the emotional aspect, be disciplined in your approach. And I think um, you will definitely see success. Just obviously um, control what you can control. That's how I would uh, wrap that one up. Great.
All right, guys. Well, this is a great convo. It was nice to be back. Let's hope to do this one again next week with some more trending topics. But uh, yeah, guys, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you uh, everyone next week. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, Patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.